Welcome into Nacho's Glen House Stories. This is going to be a fun conversation. And it's interesting because in, in right before recording this, kids, we're having a little bit of data connectivity breakdown here, which is an interesting thing as we've all learned over the last 18 months that we're all using the internet more to communicate and more to educate. And someone who's been educating about gardening design and plants for a long time is Annie Guilfoyle. And Annie, I wanted to start our conversation with this question that I, I know that you and Noel Kingsbury have worked together on Garden Masterclass for three or four years. But because of this circumstance of the world that we've all experienced together, you, you shifted what primarily was, was an in-person learning experience for people to online. Have you been surprised, uh, enthusiastic about that change and the response that came once you were essentially forced to make it, really? Yeah. Hi, Steve. Thank, thanks for asking me to take part in this uh, podcast. It's great fun. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, last year um, was our, our year four. This time last year, we were at the year, you know, fourth year of Garden Masterclass, which was all about live events in real locations um, all around the British Isles, but also into mainland Europe, which we'd started, which was very exciting. Um, and of course, we at this point last year, exactly, um, we were having to think on our feet and change uh, change everything that we did and, and think about going online. Now, we had talked about doing online teaching, webinars, et cetera, for the last few years. But it's one of those things that, you know, we always never got around to. We were too busy with with organizing. We had 35 live events programmed last year. Um, and we ran those from April through to October, which is a sensible time of year in the UK and in Europe to, to be thinking about doing outside events. And so um, we had to think on our feet. And, and uh, what we did immediately uh, last March when we went into lockdown was we did a daily free broadcast, Monday to Friday, four o'clock every day. Um, and it was a surprise who our guest was going to be every day. And, and it was a crazy thing to do. I don't know how we did it. I do not know where we found the time to do it. Um, and at the same time, we started to develop the idea of webinars. So we were forced, you know, at 100 miles an hour into this change of, of direction. Um, we still... Obviously, when, when COVID hit over in Europe here, you know, we thought, oh, it'll be a couple of months and we'll be back to normal, <laughs> you know, and, and we've all learned that lesson. But we did manage one live event last year at a place called Lowther Castle in, in Cumbria, which is the most beautiful, beautiful location with Dan Pearson. And that was in the middle of August and it was 80 degree weather and it was fantastic. Uh, but that was the only event out of 35 that we managed to, to run. So we postponed as many events as we could, we in the first instance, we pushed them to the end of the year. So we pushed them into October, September, October, thinking that by then, you know, we would be in a sensible place. But of course, that that wasn't to be. Um, and so, you know, gradually, gradually, we had to start um, cancelling and postponing. And, um, and so many of our events have shifted through to this year. Um, and uh, and we've rescheduled them. And most people who booked on the live events have been fantastic. They've kept their they've kept their ticket. They've kept their place, um, hoping that you know 
um, you know, they want something to look forward to. You know, they didn't want to just give up their ticket. So the live events still remained. Um, so last year in March, March and April through till about early May, we did this daily live broadcast. Um, which I think we were running on adrenaline, really, um, and it was fun. But what the weird thing was, and the thing that we hadn't anticipated, was suddenly we went global. So up until four years, you know, the first four years of Garden Masterclass, we had a mainly um, European, largely British audience. And actually, oddly enough, last year we had, let's say, a handful of North Americans had booked to come over and do stuff. Some Australians had booked to come and do stuff, you know, incorporating a masterclass into a holiday, which was a shame. And some Canadians, but it was a shame that 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 was it. Um, you know, they they couldn't they couldn't travel. Nobody could travel. Um, and so, yeah, so we so we went from, you know, we are literally on our heels and very clumsily, you know, adopted Zoom, um, um, you know, like everybody did. <laughs> And and just went for it. And and I suppose because in the first early days, everybody, you know, we were doing this daily thing. It was free. Uh, at times it was a little bit clumsy and whatever. But everybody was just so thankful to have something. And it was fun because you never knew who was coming up the next day. It was a big surprise. Um, and then we we realized that we wanted to develop a more serious learning uh, side of the business with webinars. I'm not saying that the daily chats weren't serious. Sometimes the topics were quite serious, but but it was much more of an informal kind of club, really. And and what that did was it gained us this kind of global following. Now, because of time zones, obviously, North America, South America, Europe are fine because we we'd push things in the afternoon, early evening. That works very well. But the poor, you know, Japanese, Korean, Australian, New Zealand, you know, they'd have to watch this at a different time. So we immediately started putting um, any uh, of our live broadcasts, our daily broadcasts up onto YouTube. We just uploaded them onto YouTube for free content. People could watch them the next day or whenever uh, and, and different time zones. Um, the webinars we started, we started introducing gradually um, one a week, maybe two a week. Um, and they would go on to Vimeo and then people could pay to view those at a different time. But I think what we both underestimated was we hadn't really thought it through because we didn't have time. We just did it was the fact that we would get this kind of global following um, and, and a great North American following. You know, we've got some fantastic what I call frequent flyers. You know, they're there every week um, and we've got to know them really well. It's just lovely. It's it's been Amazing, Steve. I can't tell you. I also want to thank you because this is something that I complain, might be a way to put it, Annie, occasionally <laughs> about is prior to the pandemic of the last year plus almost that sometimes it was tough to get people in the horticulture world and the garden design world to speak outwardly. People were very free with their time sometimes in trade events and associative events and things like that. But I don't know if we were always talking outward to the general audience, the rest of the world. And uh -huh. did you have any moments like that where has it hit you that, like you mentioned, you are connecting with more people? It's not just, uh -huh. we're, we're not pre preaching to the choir 
as yeah, yeah, you know, some yeah. would have, as maybe I would have thought the industry has done over the the years. It feels like you've had great guests on through mm-hmm. the Garden Masterclass mm-hmm. program, and now mm-hmm. we're hearing it directly from some of these people who weren't yeah, always yeah. voices that we were hearing from. Yeah, well, I guess I suppose. Noel and I have been in the business a long time and I, a little bit of a backstory, which will give you a kind of feel for, for how we got into this, is that, you know, I'm a garden designer, Noel's a horticulturalist and a writer. Um, we've both been doing it for a long time. We've both always taught and lectured and, and I've always been very heavily edu- um, involved in education. I developed a, um, a garden design diploma course uh, with a college in London, was there for 18 years. Um, I teach at Great Dixter. I teach at West Dean. Uh, regularly, which are very well-known, established gardens. So for me, well, not just for me, for both of us in our fields that are closely related, education was re- is really important, very important. Um, and then, of course, we both are, um, we both, <laughs> up until last year, travel a lot, uh, lecture a lot abroad, teach a lot. Um, I have a lot of connections in North America. I teach every year at Chanticleer. I teach at Mount Cuba. Um, Noel, uh, you know, does a lot of traveling and lecturing all around the world. And so, and so we, you know, we've, I think we kind of scooped up a lot of people that we know, um, in the industry, because also our, our little black book, both of our books are pretty full of everybody. And, and in the early days of lockdown, everybody was stuck at home. Everybody was happy. You know, even Pete Audolf, who normally he's traveling the whole time. I mean, to pin that man down is impossible, but he's stuck at home and Tom Stewart Smith is stuck at home. So you could very much guarantee that if you phoned them up and said, would you would you be on tomorrow or next Wednesday or next Thursday? They'd say, yeah, yeah, great. OK, because, you know, they're not doing anything else. Well, they they're working at home, but, you know, they're stuck. So we found that in the initial stages before people could travel at all, Everybody was happy. Everybody had this sort of gung-ho wartime spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And, of course, you know, the daily talks are free to attend, and therefore we didn't pay the speakers because they were they did it for their, you know, and everybody was incredibly generous with their time. Um, and so that I think that gained us a lot of goodwill and a lot of good spirit with not only the people in the horticultural world but also our followers because it was we're all in this together. As we started to develop the webinars more, obviously they were something that we pay our speakers to do because they need to earn a living, <laughs> they need to pay the bills. And so, you know, and, and therefore, so I think we always maintain the fact we would do some stuff for free. We would ask for donations for the free stuff. And I have to tell you, Steve, we were bowled over by people's generosity, um, you know, really, really bowled over. People would would be, you know, generous, very, very generous and sending donations to, to, to fund us really doing this. And then as the webinars developed, you know, we, we, we developed those. And now we've started to do quite a few fundraising activities as well. So, um, so it, it has grown. Um, we, we are lucky that we are well connected. There's no two ways about it. You know, both of us are quite, we have quite good connections internationally. And then people who were connected to are connected. You know, I mean, we had we had um, Paniotti Kalides on about a month ago and Paniotti asked a few, uh, you know, he's mentioned a few names in his talk. And we said, oh, Paniotti, that was great. Those list, the list of people that you talked to, you know, you mentioned that's and he he emailed us this list of the sort of horticultural who's who in the in the States or North America, but also 
and some of those names we know and we've already we've already had or we know we've got but but quite a few people who you know you you won't have heard of these people but you just watch out you know so i suppose the world is much more open um we're very lucky that we that both noel and i move in slightly different circles so our circles are a bit larger mine veer towards the design um, and 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 gardens and teaching and Knowles it's horticulture writing nurseries maybe so the two are, are a good combination really how um, did this relationship yeah. come to be with with well, this, because yeah. I, I do I think what you just said is is always been interesting yeah. I've I've known of your work for a long time as a designer I've known as Noel as author um, horticulturalist. Um, Pete Aldoff whisperer at times, right? <laughs> There's yeah, this, yeah. but it seemed from the outside that, like you said, the two of you ran in in adjacent but not the same yeah. circles. How did yeah. you guys create this relationship? Well, it's, it's it's a funny story actually because many moons ago, and I'm probably going back, I don't know, 15, 16 years, maybe I can't remember. One of my roles, I wear lots of different hats, and one of my roles is I am the programmer at West Dean College of um, Arts and Conservation. West Dean has amazing gardens, has always had wonderful gardens, and has runs art courses. And I was brought in, oh, you know, I've forgotten how long ago, let's say 17, 18 years ago, to run and program the garden courses there. So it was my role to bring in people to teach and lecture and bring in slightly bigger names that would attract more people to the gardens um, so that people would discover the gardens and then that would have a knock-on effect. And one day I happened to be in the RHS library in London um, doing some research and Noel was sat at a desk doing research for a book. And I just tapped him on the shoulder and said, you're Noel Kingsbury, aren't you? He said, yeah, yeah. Who's asking? <laughs> and I said, um, this is me. I'm Annie Guilfoyle. And would you like to come and lecture at West Dean? And he said, yeah. And so that's how we met. And that was a long time ago. And then, you know, roll forward, you know, several, several years, you know, a decade and a bit. Um, and Noel and I both write as well as teach and, and practice our, 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 our design and, and, and horticulture. And we were both um, involved with Gardens Illustrated magazine. Um, and I was writing a monthly article on design. Noel is a regular contributor. And they asked us if we would um, help them put together and cu curate a festival, which is a two-day event with lectures and talks with a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, I can't even remember the year now, but let's say this was six or seven years ago. And so we did. We put together a program because like most magazines, they're run out of a very small space with very few people who are doing their job. But to bring in to, to do anything other than that, like, you know, um, other extracurricular activities, they need help. So that's, that was our role. So we put together a two day program and that was actually held in Malmesbury, which is bang in the slap middle in the center of England. Um, two days, and we we put together this fantastic list of speakers um, for Mom, for the Gardens Illustrated Festival. Then two years later, they said, "Would you do the same thing?" And we said, "Yeah, of course we will." We changed the location, we put together a festival, um, and then it occurred to us that we could do this for ourselves. You know, we could we could do these um, talks and lectures and bring get, bring people together for learning um, and roll it out, not just over two days in one location, but you know, so the first year we did Garden Masterclass, which is five years ago, we had 11 events. Um, the second year we had 22 events. The third year we had 34 events. And then last year we should have had 35 events. 
So that was how we met. And we get on very well. We're very different people. We get on very well. And we are we are very different in the way we approach what we do. And and our and, and we complement each other in in you know our our skills, I guess, as well. So um so it just worked. It just worked. And 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 you know, I suppose if COVID hadn't happened, Garden Masterclass would have rolled out 35 events last year. We would have done a few, quite a few more in Europe last year. And um, you know, that would have that would have been great, you know, and we'd and we'd have probably been saying to each other, we should be doing some webinars, we should be doing some online activities. Um, and here we are, you know. Do you feel and we we've talked about this on the podcast in the past with other guests, garden design, it's interesting because I don't think from maybe a, a home gardener's perspective, this knowledge of this existing maybe is is obvious, but we've got all these interesting lanes and labels almost. And however you want to look at that, the labels create the lanes, the lanes create the labels either way that we've got design or the culture, the nursery. We, we've got all of these different things. Have you found that with your relationship with Noel, your relationship with so many other people that have have we started to bridge that gap maybe a little bit, Annie, in this last yeah. year? And, and even yeah. recently we've had the conversation of ecologist and there was ecologist uh-huh. and horticulturalist uh-huh. and garden designers. Uh-huh. And, and it felt like we were all adjacent, but not maybe working together. Have you seen that maybe softening where it's going to be more productive, hopefully oh, moving forward? Definitely. Very much so. I think because um, the people, yeah, I think, um people are talking to each other more they're overlapping much more um you know certainly in styles of planting nurseries i think you know i don't know whether it's because of the last year or whether it's a, just a natural acceleration of what would happen anyway but i think it really is not only inter i suppose interdiscipline so nurseries designers landscape architects um uh you know gardeners but i think uh, in- internationally too um I mean, I've always been very aware that um, the state, lots of interesting stuff is happening in the States. And I think for the British, they're very proud about their gardening heritage. And they think, you know, very much so that they're the bee's knees. And I've known for a very long time that, you know, watch out, there's really interesting things happening in the States and some very interesting people. And of course, the States is huge and people are very far apart and very spread out. But nonetheless, there's some great things happening. And of course, with my annual visit to Chanticleer um, and to Mount Cuba, and uh, and I just got in last year to do the judging at the Philadelphia Flower Show. That was my last trip uh, abroad. Um, you know, I, I'm very aware that, you know, there that we've got a lot to learn from what's going on in the States. You know, there's, there's pioneers and people leading the way in certain things and and, and vice versa. So I see barriers breaking down. I see it overlapping. Um, there's always been a little bit of a sort of, not rivalry, but a difference between landscape architects and garden designers here in the UK. That's changing. Garden uh, Landscape architects are becoming much more plant-aware, plant-focused. Um, why that's happening, I haven't really put my finger on it. I think it's probably because we're all having to think much more about um about planting, about ecology, about sustainability. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of really good landscape architect firms where they have two or three key people who are really into their plants. That, you know, that is what that what drives them. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's a very exciting time. I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard. I feel a bit guilty because we've been so busy. Um, so much has happened in the last year and people, you know, some people are really, this has been the most dreadful life-changing time, but you know, for us, um, for Noel and I, but also people in this industry, in this country, you know, gardeners, contractors, designers have been so busy because the focus on gardening and growing people are at home. They can't spend money on going on a cruise. So they're going to put it into their garden. You know, our industry has been incredibly lucky. You know, we're not running hotels or pubs or restaurants where, you know, that is just disaster zone. Um, so I think going back to your original question, yes, I think I think things are starting to merge and change. I really do for the for the better. I think different people from different disciplines are talking to each other, they're overlapping, they're listening to what each other has to say. And I think it can only be a good thing, really do. And I also think that people like yourself deserve a, a fair amount of credit in that, Annie. You know, I, I think this moment that we've experienced, like you said, it's been so difficult for others and so for all of us, really. But it did give some people time for pause. It gave people that time to become aware and to think about, you know, maybe this is something I'm interested in. And I, many people have at least given those people that spark, right? It, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I, I give you and Noel both a ton of praise because one of my biggest concerns over the last uh, five or six years is as social media grew in reach and grew in influence, I'll be kind, Annie, and say some of that <laughs> influence wasn't that great. The people that yeah. were providing the content didn't really have yeah. the credibility, the knowledge uh, that maybe the rest okay. of the horticulture and garden design world would have liked. So I think it's great now that there are courses like Garden Masterclass and people like yourself mm -hmm. and Noel that have put out this content. And when people do mm -hmm. come to it, mm -hmm. there's more. Mm -hmm. It's not just yeah. this shallow recipe version of my top five favorite perennials versus sun. Yeah. It's not yeah. that. How yeah. much yeah. of the moment we're experiencing also goes to, um, you know, we mentioned the ecology thing, the the audit that Great Dixter had had with uh, Fergus mm -hmm. Garrett and the team there recently, that We've also seen, and I'll, I'll use Pete because he's just the, the biggest name that's easy to tag this on, his use of perennials that are taller and have more movement and range. And then, of course, we have the influence of places like Great Dixter, which have been so historically significant and influential, that the palette feels mm. like it's way broader today. Annie, than it was yeah. 15 or 20 yeah. years ago. And that maybe we're at this great time where the people that do come into gardening and have interest in it are like, wow, look at all these choices. Mm. I don't just have to do annual bedding plants and yeah. change them out at spring and summer and so on and have this very boring look. I can, I can really customize this to the style that fits me. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, and, and one thing I find really exciting and, and just wonderful is when we have our either um, what we call our Thursday garden chat or our webinars, um, we have our chat box open and, you know, people who are attending 
are answering each other's questions and they are suggesting things to each other. And they might be people from, you know, within the States or Europe and America or whatever. So so they're exchanging information, um, which is fantastic because they're finding common ground um, where, you know, we probably would have thought there wasn't common ground before. Maybe our plant palettes have to be different, but we're experiencing um, the same things and and raising questions. Yes, you're right about the plant palette, but we had an interesting week last week. We had three events that were sort of based around grasses in in a sort of it wasn't really designed that way, but we had James Hitchmo talking about his um, uh, the good guys and the bad guys of grass grasses, and he only came up with two good guys. <laughs> Don't ask me which ones they were because I can't remember, but. Um, you know, so that was quite funny. Then we had uh, Neil Lucas from Knoll Gardens talking about evergreen grasses, um, and then we had who did we have later on in the week that we we, we were we were focusing on grasses? Oh, we, oh it was Kelly. Actually, it was Kelly. So you know, during that conversation, um, somebody had typed into the chat box because Neil was talking about Carrick's Flacker. Uh, and and saying North Creek have put out this thing saying they're not selling this anymore. This is a bad plant. This is taking over the states and da da da. And so it's great because what's happening is people are talking. And whilst in America that probably is a problem, here in the UK it probably isn't so much a problem. Whether that's to do with you know our climate or whatever, I don't know. But it's great. That was just a natural progression and a link between three different talks that we had last week, where this is sort of this this flow. Um, and, you know, you've got people like James Hitchmo who travel the world and who who really, really know what they're talking about and, um, you know, are willing to kind of go out on a limb and, and talk about things and, and put out their views. I mean, James is, is not a shrinking violet. And so he will really um, tell it like it is. And do you um, think that's one of the strengths of that, right? That it's it's engaging the conversation because I feel like in the past, this started to happen with natives uh, here in the States. And I think... Uh, in Europe as well, that the conversation started to get very rigid, Annie, that this is a no and this is a yes. And that if you're growing natives, you're on team good. But if you're not, you're on team exotic and exotic must mean bad. That that just the conversation, like what you're saying with Carex Flacca is really healthy to just have that dialogue happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because also it just raises awareness and people who are, you know, at least there's a little sort of warning there. Okay. I've got to look out for that. But yeah. And of course, you know, we are, we're talking globally, what works in one country or one part of the country as a, and might be problematic because of the local climate isn't going to be problematic when it's under stress in a different climate. And so we have to kind of, um, well, whoever's listening has to take that on board. And I think going back to what you were saying earlier, when we set up Garden Masterclass, we geared this and we still do at professionals. So you were talking about the level of, of, of information that's, that, that is. So we've always said what we do is for professional designers, landscape architects, gardeners and horticulturalists and keen amateurs. So we are not apologetic about it being at a level you know, we're not going to start explaining why plants are named how they're named, or we are assuming a certain level of knowledge. And if people want to jump on board and they're happy to take part, that's great. But we've always said this is for people who are in the business and we want we want a, a higher level of, of of discussion. And we've occasionally we we have debates. We uh, um we had a debate about species and uh, cultivars about three weeks ago. 
Um, and we we deliberately choose people who we know are not going to hold back, who are going to be very, very, um, you know, opinionated about about their ideas. And so I think those debates, we had a debate about garden history. Um, you know, I think it's nice to have a debate. We've got one coming up. The next one we're planning is about education and training in horticulture. And, you know, the sad thing is that's universal, universally rather sad, you know, the, the state of things. Um, and so, and, and we, we've got a panel that comprises Australia, Sweden, America, and the UK. And they're all sort of saying the same thing, you know. So we 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 do want to raise these issues that are going to be of interest to the professionals, the keen amateurs, and the people who want to come along for the ride and are very happy to to discover more about what's happening in the plant world, the garden world, the design world. So um yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think what you're doing, quite honestly, Annie, I'm gonna be very opinionated on this subject. Everyone who <laughs> listens knows I am on this subject. That's the gap. In particular, I can speak mm -hmm. to it here in the States over the last 15 years being involved with plants professionally and personally and traveling a ton. The information here was always dumbed down. We, mm. I, I think we were very cynical of the audience and the public and their ability to learn. I don't think we were giving them credit. I think here in the States, we were always saying things like low maintenance we were always telling things that were half truths. We were mm -hmm. never saying, hey, gardening's an activity. It's not a, a spectator sport where you plant a plant and walk away for three years and then come back and be like, what happened here? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't content like what you're saying with, with Garden Masterclass that you and Noel have put together where I think we can have more faith in people. I, I've always had this belief, Annie, that the person on a beautiful spring weekend who wants to just go to, in this country, a big box store or an independent garden center and buy plants and doesn't have any more interest than in that, they're going to do it regardless of what we do. And we're mm. not going to change that one way or the other. We're not going to get them to buy less if we talk occasionally in botanical Latin nomenclature and taxonomy. We're not going to run them to the hills and they're going to be like, I can't <laughs> take it. My brain can't absorb this information. That's not yeah. going to happen. Those people are always going to buy. What I was always concerned with is we weren't giving them something else. That we weren't giving that person who has a spark and goes, you know, I wonder if there's more than one kind of flocks in the world. I wonder <laughs> if that's a thing or not. And yeah, yeah. I, again, that's where I lean into it. And, and I think what you're, what you're seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is I think the reception from the audience and, and how it has grown, I think is saying people are okay with this. Like They're okay yeah. not being spoken to all the time like they're children. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, occasionally I'll, we'll get a, an email or a comment from somebody saying, oh, you know, from the from the website, oh, I think this is maybe this is not for me. But very rarely, because I think if people come along for the ride, they're happy to sit back and listen to the debate that's going on. I think that it's quite inclusive. Um, and and I do, you know, I, I suppose I'm a glass half full person where I see you know, the fact that we are, we're all kind of talking and debating at, at different levels um, and, and different countries. 
Um, there are lots of things that bind us together that, you know, we, we're all struggling with the same issues. We're all struggling with climate change. You know, that's terrifying. And, um, and we've all got to deal with it. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I am really proud of, of what we've achieved. And it's sometimes it's hard, not hard, but, I, you know, we haven't given ourselves much time to sit back and go, my goodness me, look what's happened in a year, you know. We've just started a membership scheme, which um, which which we wanted to do not because we wanted to create a little exclusive club, but because what we wanted to do was was offer people something a bit more. Um, so the membership scheme it allows people to uh, we have two levels: online and online extra or online plus. And online plus is more geared towards people who are probably going to attend live events, so they will get priority booking at live events. Both of the membership schemes offer you a discount on, on webinars. They offer you discount on products that we have on our website that, you know, products that we have curated that we feel, um, you know, that are high quality. Um, and, and also special events for members where this is where we have the debates or we have, uh, you know, something a little bit more nitty gritty where, where people can really sort of get involved. And, and we're very happy for our members to speak up and say, I don't agree with you on this point. You know, you haven't covered this or whatever. So I think the membership is a new thing since Christmas, since New Year. And we're excited about that because people do seem to be really, um, they like to be part of something. Um, and and I feel that, you know, we're, we're, we're offering and we're including people. Uh, also, just to mention that the the, the the members events that we have are again free for members but we ask people to donate to what's something called the lemon tree trust which is a charity which you may be aware of started by an american woman um who lives in texas actually and she um it's 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 a charity that creates gardens helps to create gardens for refugees and people who are displaced well in the last two two and a half weeks we've raised two thousand pounds uh in donations and I'm just blown away by that, you know, because a people's generosity, but also that we can do something, you know, that's so positive. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's just, you know, it's really exciting. And we, I think we haven't just had time to sit back and look at what, what's happened in the last year, really. What's your viewpoint? You've mentioned it a little bit and uh, I, I'd mentioned to you on a previous piece of uh, content that I heard you mention that when you come over to the States that occasionally you're a little in the, the bubble, if you will, of mm -hmm. Chanticleer, Longwood, yeah. kind of mm -hmm. botanical, horticultural, Bill Thomas is showing you cool things kind of world, right? But yeah. what's your perception of American gardening as a whole? Right. Well, that's, that's a fan, fan, fantastic question because my course at Chanticleer is, is a sort of design your own garden course. So people come from all over the States. So although it's at Chanticleer, which is heaven on earth, and I do walk around stupefied by the gorgeousness of it, and I love it, uh, it's just magical uh, and transforming. But people come from literally all over the States. So, and that's that's hard for me because people are coming from Texas, from Oregon, from uh, South Carolina, from California, with different climates, different zones, et cetera, et cetera, different problems. Um, but and so I very much have to rely and lean on the knowledge of um, some of the some of the horticulturists at Chanticleer in terms of plant choices and things. And we we do look at the Missouri Botanical Garden website a lot, um, you know. So 
Which but, God well, bless whoever did the, some yeah. of the descriptions on the Missouri oh Botanical God. Garden, where they will <laughs> yes. occasionally throw in that one sentence, Annie, where it says, in the Southern United States, heat and humidity are not this plant's friend kind of talk. <laughs> like, Thanks, because yeah. that's sort yeah, of important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I have, you know, I've had, I've had um, students on that course who say, you know, we talk about plant pests and diseases and their pests are things like alligators and turkeys and armadillos. And I'm thinking, yeah, we have pigeons and squirrels and the occasional fox. Sorry, can't help you with that one, you know. And uh, yeah, so, so, so it, although I, I absolutely agree, I'm in this, you know, the East Coast and that little concentrated Pennsylvania, which is, you know, 30 amazing gardens in a small area, Chanticleer being the most beautiful. And but I have access to all these people from all over the states who come with their plot and it can be a tiny little garden or it can be a huge area. And together we sit down and we work out a, a design for it. Um, and we talk about, you know, and we learn from each other. And, and that's that's the best thing about teaching wherever you're teaching, whether it's in the States or the UK, because each student is going to learn from the other one probably more than they learn from me. It's amazing to see what's going on. We have the horticulturists from Chanticleer coming in and helping as well. Um, and so my knowledge of North American planting um, and North American zones um, is has grown a lot, but but by God, I've got a lot to learn because it's so vast. And even within a small area, you know, the zones, you know, within a very small area change so much. But, you know, that's that's almost a mechanical thing. You know, yes, okay, we've got, you've got to check that. You've got to make sure that that works. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'm learning a lot about the states and I am not, I'm aware that we don't all live in that little bubble of the East Coast, you know, the East Side. Have you had any experience with, and I always, the same plant always comes to mind for me, Annie, on this one that is just stuck here for some reason, um, like Veronicastrum, Virginicum, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. native to America, but many of the cultivated varieties of it are more readily found in Europe than they are here. <laughs> and not that I'm jealous at all, and I'm asking anyone to send them in the mail to me, but I can only get Fascination and Cupid here. I'll let you fill in the rest yeah. of them that I can't get, which is most of them outside of Fascination and Cupid. Remember, you can send things via email or the post office, and I'll never guess what's inside of it. So yeah. are you surprised at that, that maybe there are even some plants that mm. you're familiar with, that you work with, that you have American students who you say, well, what about this plant? And they go, well, what's that? And then you have sort of this moment where you go, well, you know, that's a native plant in the United yeah, States. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that does happen. That does happen. Um, it, it's very strange. And and also with, with other places, I mean, you know, and, and with Europe as well. I mean, it's when and when we hear people talking either on on our webinars or in discussion you know the plant world suddenly shrinks and people people are discussing this 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 international language um and yes there might be a little bit of of jealousy of oh I can't get that or I can't grow that you know um or my climate won't allow that but that's always going to be the case the grass is always greener i mean when kelly did his talk last week and he had um Penstemon Pocahontas I was literally on my phone where do I get that where do I get that are there any nurseries in the UK and yes I found one nursery that sells it um it so, is a very yeah. good plant by the way for all it's of you listening beautiful. It, it, beautiful. It, shout yeah. out to our friend Brent Horvath at Intrinsic Perennials it, it is it's one of the few 
Penstemon Digitalis that really it it holds up right. It's it's just perfect. It's the perfect Penstemon to not overdo the alliteration. If you need any, yeah. let, let me know. I have some. I'll okay, throw a couple I will. in there. Will. We won't tell anybody. We'll be like, this doesn't <laughs> no. need any inspection. It's just a random no. package. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think also with people like Pete, who, you know, he is at the pinnacle, he is at the top, but because Pete does so much work in the States and, and um, you know, so that's interesting because we're seeing him use plants in Holland, the UK and in America. And there are a lot that he uses that are, um, you know, interchangeable. And, um, and, and I think that he, you know, he is waking us up and probably the, probably the nurseries as well. Obviously their palette, they, they aren't exactly the same in each location, but there are many plants that you do see from one to the other. And so, and so I suppose what that does is it raises people's awareness. Um, it means that there's more, you know, people will see these in public planting and private gardens. You know, he might talk about them on, in a lecture or something. Um, and then the nurseries will re- realize that there's a demand for this. Um, and then it, there's a trickle down effect. You know, there's a trickle down effect. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I think I think the barriers are breaking down. And, you know, that it, w- it will be strange that we will, you know, you'll be importing things back to the States that traditionally would have been a Native American plant that people just have haven't have forgotten about you know or never knew existed um yeah you you mentioned the class that you teach and have taught at great dixter over the years and everyone also knows that i'm a a christopher lloyd bff fan club forever how much of and and i almost think in an interesting way the ecology audit that was recently done that fergus garrett had done at dixter it is this long tail reinforcement almost of Christopher Lloyd. I don't think, I mean, and correct me if you believe I'm wrong on this. I don't think there was any goal from the very beginning of having this heavy ecological lean. It was to create this beautiful garden, embrace the setting, a great plants wow. person kind of approach to gardening, but yet they still arrive there. Annie, but, but just through yeah. great gardening practice arrived at this ecological moment. And I often say that some of Christopher's writings and just the whole mindset of Dexter feels just as relevant today as mm. it really ever has. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think Fergus was the first one to be utterly surprised by the biodiversity of the garden. If anybody wants to check out that report, it's on the Great Dixter website and it's fascinating reading. So I think we all do beat, beat ourselves up a little bit, perhaps too much, about being very purist, about being native with our planting. Um, and yet, you know, we, we plant plants and, and as long as they're nectar rich or, or pollen rich, you know, these these creatures will come. And I think um, I think most people in our industry who, who are doing this sort of work, are, are, and I, I want to say most people, probably the key people, you know, they're not being... They're not being dictatorial. They're not being purist about it. They are just saying, you know, you plant stuff and 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 wildlife will come. And and there has to be, I mean, you look into it and there has to be this sort of succession of we get if you get one creature, then you get this other creature that will prey on that creature and so on and so forth. But it is fascinating. And I think what's interesting is seeing that kind of trickle down into uh, domestic gardens 
Um, we've got a very good webinar. We're repeating a webinar with Joe McCurr uh, in a couple of weeks' time, who who has taken a, a brownfield site here in the UK and just has a family garden that she wants to be. She wants it to be organic and she wants it to be biodiverse and she wants it to be sustainable. Um, and it was a polluted site, you know. And so she's learning on her feet. And and it's the honesty of people like that, you know, people who are saying, I really didn't know what I was doing, but this is what I know so far and I'm willing to share it. Um, and I think people really appreciate that because then they're not intimidated about asking questions, um, you know, that they think might be a little bit basic. Because, you know, there are a lot, I, I think it's a, something to do with our industry. You know, we are lucky. Um, the people with the egos are, are a minority. The, most people are very willing to share information, share their ups and their downs. I was just reading Dan Pearson's uh, Dig Delve on Saturday, which is his weekly newsletter on every Saturday morning. And Dan, even Dan is sort of saying, you know, this didn't work and I did this wrong and this wasn't right. And I thought, you know what? Not, you know, that's the thing about our business. People are very happy to be honest and say, it didn't work for me. Um, you know, I, I I made a mistake there. I wasn't doing this properly. I wasn't pruning that tree properly. Um, whereas in a lot of industries, people would just be, you know, they just wouldn't have the guts to say that. Um, How do you think the disconnect exists? Because I totally agree with you on that subject. And it's something I say frequently that most people, plants, people, nursery, horticulture, garden designers, whatever lane you, you want to identify yourself in or not, are openly willing to share information and admit to the fact that we probably kill more plants than anyone, that it, it happens all the time, that we know it's going to, you don't know a plant until you've at least killed it three times or so, but yet the consumer view of it is very stressed out sometimes, Annie, that mm, you know, mistakes mm. are the end of the universe. I know, and and, I know. and we yeah. the questions, at least here in the States, sometimes people will lead with of, is this hard to keep alive? Is this is this yeah. going to live? We start with the plant's death before we talk about the plant's life. Seems yeah. to be yeah. like there what do you what what is your thought on why that disconnect has existed and felt so tangible over time? I don't know. I think I, I don't know why, whether people I think people think that, you know, gardening is this mysterious, magical art and it really isn't. It's down to some very basic things. And I think when I teach, whether it's Chanticleer, I, I, I've taught courses for Terrain online, uh, West Dean or Great Dixter. And, and these are people coming in with their own backyard. They're both the plot and they just want to create a garden and they're intimidated. A, by the range of plants that are out there because they think, oh, my God, how am I ever going to learn any of these plants? Well, you, don't, you can't possibly know them all. You're never going to know them all. So I think my role as an educator is to demystify and to calm people down and say, look, there are a few basic things. And actually, you just need to surround yourself with the go-to people for the answers or the go-to books. Um, you know, so... Don't worry so much about this. And in fact, today, what you just said was so right. Before coming on to talk to you, I've bought some hedging plants. I was just putting them out in the back garden, you know, putting the, covering the roots because they're bare root. And I was literally thinking, yep, I've lost more plants in this garden than I've planted. Um, and, 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 and I sort of in my head laughingly said to myself, well, it's my laboratory. That's what it is, you know, which is, which is the, you know, the garden designer's laboratory for that read, you know, 
backyard from hell. We all do it. You know, we all do We all buy a plant. We let it sit at the back doorstep for, you know, three years before we pot it on and or whatever. Um, I think, I think it's important. I mean, I, I, I do see this a lot when I'm teaching that people come almost rigid with fear that they have to, they have to know everything about science, everything about color theory, everything about design. And you just have to say, look, you know, just, just, you won't. You've just got to know where the answers are. And I guide them through a few key reference books that I think are really, really useful. Um, a few key, um, maybe websites. I do say, be very careful. You were saying earlier on, you know, you might end up with some chap in Tasmania who, who sounds like he knows what he's on about, but he's just talking a load of rubbish, you know, so you've got to be careful where you get your information from. I think it's just giving people confidence and actually saying, look, you know, these are the rules, a few rules, they're basic. Just, you know, just go for it. You know, it, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> How much do you think, and, and I, we've had people as guests, I think you've had people as guests on Garden Masterclass that sometimes resist this word as well, that we haven't done a good job of always communicating the world of gardening and plants as creative that mm-hmm. it can that really what we're sort of talking about here if you want to get in a more abstract version of it is we're we're learning some of these fundamental sciences but then once we get just enough of that that opens up this creative freedom of expression through plants and palette and place and all of these important factors but we haven't always led with creativity, Annie. And, and I feel like that's sort yeah. of something that hopefully people will lean into more. I hope so. I mean, I've always found that with my students, some of the best garden designers have come from a graphic design background or a textile design background because they've got this feel for putting colors together or shape and proportion and style or whatever. And so um, I think people do get intimidated and, and I think it is about breaking down barriers. But I... I just like to say to people, you know, use something, put together a simple mood board, for example, use something, use a painting, use a song, use something that you you love just to inspire you. And how you interpret that is entirely up to you. It's a personal thing. Um, I've recently, or the last two or three years, been involved with a, with a nursery here in England where they decided to um, put, uh, put aside, uh, maybe it was about 15 or 16 trial beds. And they invited designers and landscape architects to use their plants from their nurseries. This is a trade nursery, not a retail nursery. Um, and, and do what they like. And so I did something that I always wanted to do that I very rarely get the chance to do. So I used a painting. I used a Paul Clay painting as my, as my inspiration. And it was called Harbinger of Autumn, which is all blues and inky blues and purples with a dab of orange in it. And also his Paul Clay style is very linear. It's really, this is very, very linear. So I planted in that way using that color palette, using plants that I've not used much or before from the nursery because I wanted this to be a learning vehicle for me too and have a bit of fun. Um, and so I think, you know, if you encourage people to, to use something as a springboard that, that could be their favorite painting or it could be their favorite color or a pattern from some fabric or something and then and work with that. I think it helps helps them to break down that mystique that kind of can surround gardening. Um that you know that just you know the this is your inspiration. Be creative. Keep it simple is the thing until you gather a little bit more confidence and then you can start to break the rules of whatever, you know. Um 
but I think it is about just giving people that bit of confidence and, and making sure that they um, just, you know, keep it simple, but be inspired, you know, by why whatever it is. Why do you feel that people, and, and Pete's obviously, again, the easiest one to pick on here, have resisted mm-hmm. the phrase? Because I know he he doesn't take on the phrase of artist. He, he doesn't, it's not self-proclaimed, mm-hmm. right? But yet mm-hmm. many people, myself mm-hmm. probably included, identify like i'll look at persicaria sometimes and i'll be like i can't figure out how he's using persicaria to work this well despite the fact i've I've read every piece of information but every time i do it there's certain just a lack of something there that he Mm -hmm. seems to do so well why do you think that's almost been resisted sometimes by people just taking on that that there is an art a creativity to this that that's that's Mm -hmm. maybe more relatable to the audience than some of the other components that make it? Well, I, I'm not sure. I, 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 if I know if I've got a student who's really struggling, I will say, forget about all that back information about plants. Just think of it about, just think of it about shape, colour. Um, obviously, you know, you've got to draw up a list of things that are going to work in your climate zone or in a shady backyard or whatever. But I think I, I just tend to get people to 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 not think about all of the stuff, all of that information, but just think about the very basics. Think about think about a garden as as a graphic, as a graphic layout. There's one particular book that I always direct students to, and it's a John Brooks book. It's John Brooks Garden Design. And it's a it's now it's got to be 35, 40 years old, that book, at least. And it is such a good book because it really it's 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 it breaks down the or John, you know, he broke down the, the the process into very easy bite-sized chunks. He did very simplistic diagrams and drawings, not very sort of arty and clever, just very blocks and pyramids and spires and things. He talked about plants. He, he categorized his plants in a different way. He talked about them being fillers, feathery, pointy, uh, flat, you know. And so I think if you give people a slightly more, um, less intimidating language to use, and they just go, I need something pointy and yellow, you know, and that's fine. Okay, let's find you something pointy and yellow. Um, so I think um, that's that's what I think is, is is useful, is actually to get people to break down that barrier of language. You've gone through the, the online here, and as we all hope, as we record this in uh, February of 2021, that the world gets slowly but surely back to some form of uh, pre-pandemic normalcy. That are you going to continue? I would hope, Annie. I'm I'm actually just asking you. This is a question yeah, yeah, wrapped yeah. in a demand. Um, yeah, yeah. To continue doing it online, but is there also a part of you that knows bringing people to some of the the locations and the gardens that yeah. you're yeah. covering for those people that are able to do that? That's a pretty transcendent moment for some of those people when you can bring some of those thoughts almost to life for people is that something that you're looking forward to yeah oh absolutely no we will continue we will definitely continue the online side of things because you know we you know it, it, the simple the simplicity is that we can we can have paniotti collides do a lecture where we couldn't afford to fly into europe to do a lecture you know so we, we have access to people from all over the world and then people from all over the world could join in we also will, well, we have got live events lined up for this year, 
I well, we've already had to postpone a French event at the end of April because, you know, traveling is not going to be ready by then. We won't be ready. Um, but no, we will definitely always have the two together so that we we can have the live events and the online events. Is that what you is that what you're asking? Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. for myself, I, I've I've always felt like one of the the disadvantages to many people in the United States is that outside of that small pocket in the Northeast, which is essentially Philadelphia, um, (laughs) there aren't a lot of places to go. And and I know for me, I, I have this opportunity to literally travel for, for six years and, and seek out these small garden collectors, horticulturalists, nursery people kind of thing. But in Europe, you have so many more places to go and we're much smaller and we're much yes. smaller <laughs> so it just the yeah. i think there'd be something magical for people who have gone through these talks online to then it's like it's a come to life moment where it's this ideal yeah. idea that's intangible that suddenly becomes real and tangible in front of them yeah yeah well no absolutely i think we will you know i i'm, I'm hoping and i'm sure they will lots of people who um who, who've done, you know, who, who've, who've discovered us through Garden Masterclass will will come to to Europe and, and join us. Um, I'm hoping that we could run things in the States eventually, live events, that would be great. Um, I mean, Noel and I do travel and lecture quite a lot anyway, um, internationally when, when we're allowed. So um, absolutely, I think, I think um, you know, it would be great to continue both. I think the two worlds will, will mix a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? We, we've done so much in a year. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I don't know what. Noel always comes up with crazy ideas. You know, I've had a, I've had an idea, and I'm like, oh no, what now? You know, <laughs> something <laughs> like moving Rose, to Portugal or something like that. Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's easy for him. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. I'm, I mean, I think um, what what we're doing, what you know, rolling, keeping this going. I know that, you know, if, if we do get back to a more normalized lifestyle this summer and we can roll out more live events again, we will, we will reduce perhaps the number of webinars a little bit. But because we've got this international audience and now we see we, we haven't touched on this, but we're doing stuff in Japanese, Korean and Chinese as well, um, which, you know, we have links in those countries and they're translating or subtitling. So, you know, that also is, is another whole other side of the world literally which um you know we're we're we're, we're working into it north america is easy because the time zones and the language isn't a barrier and south america great you know further afield um i do feel we have to try and uh, address australia and new zealand and and the, the sort of time zones a little bit better because that's tricky you know because we're at such a different time of day that often things have to be pre-recorded um, As we start to head yeah. towards the the wrap up, I have a question I want to ask you about your own design view. Yeah. By yeah. especially even for yourself this last year, um, because of the amount of content that you've created has been so much more intensive than it was in mm-hmm. years past. Has there been anything that has really influenced you in, in your viewpoint? Oh. Because you're you're right there with the audience, you know, taking yeah. in all of these conversations and information. Is there yeah. anything for you that has influenced the way you look at some things? 
Well, I have to say from the outset that, you know, <laughs> all of all of what I do is purely and utterly um, for me. I mean, <laughs> so so when I'm when I'm thinking about, you know, lecturers and speakers, I'm thinking, hmm, who do I want? Oh, what do I want to discover? So it's all about me. I, I do the say. same thing, Annie. So don't feel bad. I, mean, I just oh, have guests on know. that I like. That's it. Exactly. It's like, oh, my goodness. I need to know about alpines. Let's get an alpine specialist. So, no. Um, yeah definitely been inspired i think certainly now the more the naturalistic well not naturalistic necessarily but eco ecological planting um creating gardens that are not gardens but they are they're just wildlife zones you know so they don't look like gardens there's much more of a relaxed feel to them and that's such a subtle subtle thing and um also, you know, we have a lecturer called John Little, who's an extraordinary character, you know, using recycled materials and really not taking anything away from a site and trying not to bring anything into a site. You know, th these are things that I now want to put into my practice more than I have done in the past. Definitely. Um, absolutely. You know, there, there are people that I just think, oh, yeah, that's what I want to you know, aspire to. I want um, to get your opinion on two plants. Um, this week, hmm. I'm also recording another podcast that depending upon when you're listening to this, kids, your whole timeline is getting very confusing by me even bringing this <laughs> up. It could be in the future. It could be in the past. It could be on the same day. It's a temporal displacement out of a Marvel movie. But um, I'm having Michael Marriott on, who's recently retired oh, yeah. from David Austin Roses, and we're going to talk about hmm. the role of roses. But one thing that I think is interesting is roses and peonies are mm. these two plants that regardless of, of where you're at in the States and Europe have been these quintessential garden plants, but yet in a lot of the, the more naturalistic or Dutch perennial, mm. new wave perennial, whatever weird phrasing mm. we want to give things on that day of the week, mm. we don't mm. see them much. They, they don't make that many appearances. Yeah. Are you surprised by that? Is that something that we think is, where do you think that's headed? It's just an interesting thing to see because well, I think in the, in the gardening public, yeah. those are two hugely popular plants. Yeah, they are. They are because they're, 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 they're quintessentially that sort of romantic, traditional, what have been used in that, in that, in that way. Obviously climate's much of a, much of a, a, a determinator there because I know, you know, when you go to somewhere like Chanticleer, you know, it's too humid. Uh, roses really, really do not like that humidity. Um, and so I think climate's going to dictate quite a bit. Peonies, I'm not, I'm, my, my knowledge of growing peonies in other countries is, is nil. So I wouldn't know. I think they're probably less though, although I guess they will probably suffer from mildew if they're too, if it's too humid. I think that's the thing. It's, it's, they do evoke this amazingly romance, romantic side of us in, in gardens. And we think of Sissinghurst and we think of all these beautiful gardens. But I think at the end of the day, it has to be, you know, are they going to, are they going to thrive in your garden? I mean, there's, there's, there's a difference between living and thriving, you know, limping along and looking miserable. And every time you look at it, your heart sinks is one thing. But are they absolutely thriving? Um, and maybe, I mean, we had somebody, um, oh, I know it was on the Monty Don program, actually, which are showing here at the moment, um, with Monty Don in North America, there was one woman and she was in, she was in the South. Um, she said she grows roses as annuals, which, you know, in England, we'd go, oh my God, annuals, you know, so literally she just replants them every year. 
So, you know, maybe you just have to adopt a different way of growing them um, if you really, really want them, if you really want them to do well. There is the whole thing that if something is not, if something's going to sulk in the corner like a teenager and you look at it every day and, and it, it don't grow it because it's just going to drive you insane. It's just going to drive you mad. Um, but I suppose we always want what we can't have. You know, I, I've problem. been I've been trying and failing with Mechanopsis yeah. for at least ten or twelve oh, years of all you've species. Got move, you've got to move to Scotland if you want to oh. grow Mechanopsis. Well, let, let me also give everybody a bit of a tip here, as we're 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 at the the tail end of the podcast here with Andy. That I love Julito seeds, but even the gold selected mm-hmm. ones of the Mechanopsis. It's not like they're jumping out of the germination tray. Okay, kids, they're just, they're still sitting there looking at you hopelessly and and you check on them every day going, is today the day? It's like a really depressing (laughs) Christmas that never comes quite. (laughs) Just like, at this point, Annie, I'll settle just for germination and then I'll I'll let the (laughs) chips fall where they may after that. But even just germination can be tough. In your in your future for for you personally mm. and professionally, mm. are are you seeing yourself focus on garden masterclass and education? Um, do you want to still do design work? Do, do you think you'll find a, a happy balance with that or is it more education in the well, future? It, it, I mean, people do say, how do you do it all? And because the teaching and the, and the client work, I mean, it is, it is a seven day a week thing. I would struggle to give up any one area of, of my work because I, I think one feeds into another. I think if you're involved in education, you're constantly questioning what you do, how you do, or what somebody else does and how they do it. And it informs you better as the designer. I think I don't think I would want to give up. I think I'd want to just nudge them both along at the same time because I think they do they do dovetail nicely. Partly also that Noel and I run this together. It means that we can kind of give each other a bit of time and, and if I know that when we start traveling a bit more, there will be the situation where I might be doing this from Chanticleer or I might be doing this from Italy or something like that. So, but that's the beauty of online. You can, you can be anywhere as long as the time zone works. So yeah, I'm very loath to give up. Um, I think I might get more selective about the design work. Perhaps, um, you know, I might, there might be projects that I just think, no, I, I really want to concentrate on fewer more complicated and more challenging projects and doing lots and lots and lots of whatever comes along as as a freelance person you know we all we all get worried that there's never ever going to be another job through the door and of course you know it's not the case um so i think i've just got to 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 be to trust myself and and to yeah carry on carry on carrying on really top moment that you had so far through garden masterclass that was a plant moment for you that you were like, Hmm, I haven't thought of it quite that way. Something that maybe shifted your perspective on a a topic or a plant, or, I mean, you, you, you mentioned earlier, Pensamin Digitalis Pocahontas, or just something that you were just like, Hmm, that's new. Because I think when you've been doing something for so long, like you have, and, and you're so well connected and respected, I, I think there's always that moment where something new stands out sometimes where you're like, hmm, I haven't yes. heard of that before. Oh, that's a really tough one. And and I think I have to probably a, a talk and, and a moment that really made me sort of sit up is is when Paniotti, we had Paniotti on recently and he he was showing pictures of plants in the wild in the steps and on his travels. 
And I think it, it's not necessarily a plant, but it's making that connection between the wild and the cultivated and the garden and how we use things. And, um, and James Hitchmo as well, you know, oh, he, uh, he showed, uh, he showed a sea of, well, as far as the eye can see of Eremurus. Um, I've never got Eremurus to grow anywhere. Um, so for all of you, for all of you listening, by yeah. the way, don't feel <laughs> yeah. bad. This raise it, put a little grid under it, the drainage oh. issue. This is a oh. lot of it's nonsense, kids. I mean, a yeah, lot of yeah. it's just like this plant, there's something going on in the soil biology where they are from yeah. that they're yeah. into and you have that or you don't. Yeah. I mean, James uh, last week showed a picture in Kazakhstan of Eremurus as far as the eye can see. And, and I mean, you know, that is, that is a mind stoppingly beautiful moment. And, and it just takes your breath away. And you think, Oh my God. Well, that's what they are. They're, you know, they're, they're these wonderful kind of wild warriors growing in the hills and, and, and they shouldn't be in a garden, perhaps. Maybe that's it. You know, <laughs> you just have to go to Kazakhstan, but. Um, yeah, it's moments like that. It's seeing, I think it's seeing the origins of plants and, and, and of course that then informs you. Oh, right. They're, you know, they're, they've got space around them. They haven't got any competition. They are, you know, the climate, the light and, and it then all the pennies start to drop and you think that's, that's what it is. So I think it is. It's, it's, it's seeing, it's vicarious traveling, isn't it? Seeing people. In, in, uh, you know, pointing out something that actually is obvious, but until you see it in front of you, ah, oh, right. That's where it comes from. That's what it like. Of course, you know. Um, so of course it's not going to like a shady little back garden in West Sussex because it grows in the steppes of Kazakhstan. You know, that's why. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's those lessons really. Cross ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life it's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way state of Got no rhyme for 